0: Fight back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio.
1: Okay, well, from a big mega Okay, we are uh, we've just lost our connection to Dr. Zach, so I'm gonna give you the numbers again. We are getting him back on the line. The numbers 416 360-0740 or 1-866-740-4740. I'm going to give you that again. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And uh, our main topic today is going to be stroke. And it is expected that more than 60,000 Canadians will suffer from from the, some form of stroke, and that is just this year. So we want to know, uh, is it preventable? We want to know what are the signs and symptoms, because when you have a stroke, one of the key things is to get treatment as soon as possible. Uh, we have Dr. Zach on the line now, I believe. Zach, are you there? I'm here. Hi, Zach. Hello. Um, Zach, uh, we we're talking about stroke today, but First, I want to touch on this morning's very tragic news. And we learned that uh, the lead singer of the Tragically Hip, Gord Downey, has terminal brain cancer. And it is, I guess, the deadliest form of brain cancer. It's glioblastoma. And, uh, you know, when a celebrity gets a diagnosis like that, it obviously raises awareness. Do you get more people in your emergency ward wondering about the symptoms? Uh, is it a disease that's tough to diagnose early?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, terrible news and uh, and something that we do see actually, you know, relatively frequently. I think one of the, one, like you're saying, the one good thing that could come of this is just that it raises awareness. And, and yes, I think the more people are aware of a diagnosis, the more they worry about it. And that, in some ways, you know, the negative side of that is just people worry about it and they may, you know, they they get a headache that's benign. They may think it it could be a cancer and that's scary. But on the other hand, it does bring people to medical attention who maybe otherwise would not have come. And certainly it's something that we see see a fair bit of. And brain tumors uh, are, uh, are, you know, they're they're not the most common cancer, but the ones, and especially now that we know that glioblastoma multiforme or, Uh, GBM is the short form Uh, it's a very very serious and very very deadly type of cancer and um, and sometimes so that to answer the final part of your question which was you know is it hard to diagnose it varies depending on what part of the brain it develops in Um, because some some cancers if they develop in certain parts of the brain uh, specifically the frontal lobes which are less sort of directly implicated in in our day-to-day function they can actually grow quite large before they're symptomatic however if they're in certain areas, like, for example, the motor area, the part that, for example, controls your right arm, you know, once that starts developing, you will lose function in your right arm. And that, and then you'll, you know, very, very quickly end up going to the hospital and a CT scan of the brain will show that you have this tumor. So it, it's quite variable in terms of how people present with these things. Um, but uh, often they do present, uh, unfortunately, something with like a GBM no matter when they present, the outcome is is often is often not very good. Uh,
1: do do you know? Is there a cause for it, or is it just bad luck? Well, unfortunately, you know, they ha-
2: there are some theories, but the vast majority of brain cancers are still uh, sort of uh, they don't have a great idea of what the cause is. You know, there are certain there are a few more rare. genetic syndromes and whatnot, and being exposed to a fair amount of ionizing radiation, which, by the way, is not the radio frequency radiation in cell phones, which is a whole other conversation in and of itself. Um, But ionizing radiation does increase the risk for, for different cancers.
1: And where do you get ionizing radiation? The primary source
2: medically is from the CAT scans, actually. So if you have re- repeated, repeated uh, CAT scans, especially ones with As
1: high, I have, yeah.
2: Yeah, especially h- ones with high levels of radiation, like ones like angiograms, for example, or uh, CAT scans of the chest and the abdomen tend to be of higher ones, and, and usually not one or two, but if you've had, you know, dozens. It's worth noting that uh, we're exposed to a fair bit of ionizing radiation just flying in an airplane. So that exposes us to some, and... But there's some very good, you know, people are interested. There's some very good information online as we become more and more aware of this. But having said all that, the vast majority of brain cancers uh, just sort of come out of the blue, and we don't have a clear cause for them, unfortunately. We're still, we're still working on it, obviously.
1: Okay, Zach, I think uh, let's uh, switch to our main topic, which is uh, stroke, which actually affects a lot more people. Than yes. uh, brain cancer, and uh, let's before we go over the symptoms of stroke and what you should do if you have any of these symptoms, let's open the phone lines four one six three six zero zero seven forty, toll free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. If you have questions for Doctor Zach. On stroke, or uh, he'll take a question on just about anything. But uh, he is here to answer your queries, and he's uh, on call here on Zoomer Radio. Zach, what are the signs of stroke? What are the symptoms? So the
2: primary, again, it depends which part of the uh, body—sorry, which part of the brain it affects. But the primary, the most common by far, are uh, uh, sudden. Instances of numbness, or even more importantly, weakness of uh, one side of the body, and that can be the face, that can be the upper extremity, like the arm, or the lower extremity, the leg, uh, and then other other uh, symptoms can include things such as confusion, trouble speaking, difficulty understanding speech. It can be tr- um, visual disturbance, like double vision or or blurred vision. It can be sudden loss of balance, difficulty walking, or lack of coordination, and and another symptom is, uh, is a headache sudden onset of a very severe headache plus or minus vomiting those are all different symptoms that can be in it and it depends on where the stroke is and the type of stroke that it is the vast majority of strokes are ischemic which means a lack of blood supply actually they're all caused by a lack of effective blood supply to that area of the brain and that area of the brain then doesn't work properly and starts to die and it can either be ischemic, which means there's a blood clot and there's no effective blood flow, or it can be uh, a bleed, a hemorrhage. That's about 10 to 15% of them. It's, a, it's the minority. The, the majority is one of these blood clots. But they both end up, the end outcome is basically you're not getting effective blood supply and nourishment and oxygen to that area of the brain, and that, that area of the brain immediately starts to die because it's not properly nourished.
1: Okay, i'm uh, on the line with our house doctor Zachary Levine. We're talking about stroke, but we can answer uh, any of your questions for Dr Zach four one six three six zero zero seven forty or toll free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty Zach, are the signs of stroke or the symptoms different for men and for women?
2: Well, actually, you know unlike uh, unlike heart attacks where we've learned that there are very different symptoms between men and women because just because it's more of a sensory thing so basically the way pe- the way men and women sense uh cardiac ischemia so a part of the heart dying or not getting enough blood supply it can be quite different however in men and women uh the symptoms of stroke are actually quite are quite similar so in that way it's i mean i don't know if it's a good thing or not but at least when we talk about the typical symptoms they apply pretty much equally to men and women and when the the difference would be i guess in uh, earlier in life sort of under sixty five men have a higher incidence of stroke, but the symptoms are the same, and then unfortunately, women catch up to men as of the age of sixty five or so
1: Okay, uh, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, what you can do to prevent a stroke, how important it is to get quick treatment. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about the the rehab as well. Uh, And as I said, we're going to take your calls. And we can also take your calls about other medical questions because uh, our house doctor is on the call the numbers before we take a break 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740
0: you're listening to an exclusive podcast of fight back on zoomer radio heard weekdays from noon to one fight back with libby zneimer on zoomer radio
1: Welcome back. I'm on the line with our house doctor, Zachary Levine. We're talking about stroke. Uh, We can talk about whatever you want to talk about. But this is a really important topic because it affects 60,000 Canadians a year. And uh, there are lifestyle factors. You can try to prevent a stroke. And also there are some very important things that have to do with getting Treatment on time. So, uh, Zach, how important is it to get yourself to that emergency really quickly?
2: It's really, really important. One of the things that has developed over the past, I'd say, 15 years or so, are these uh, very powerful clot busting medications. As I mentioned earlier, the vast majority of strokes are caused by blood clots, so blockages in one of the arteries that supplies the brain with the very essential blood supply, and w- these medications that are used also for heart attack are known as thrombolytics, and what we found is that they are they're quite effective, but they, the earlier that we give them, uh, not only are uh, the more effective they are, but also the less the risk of giving the medication, so the risk being when you give a very, very strong uh, thrombolytic or, or blood clot destroyer is that you can have bleeding elsewhere and that's that can be actually quite a catastrophic outcome. Now they're working on giving uh, this kind of medication directly into the brain and they're also working on removing the clots from the brain but that's it's still not sort of standard practice the standard is try and get these clot busting medications in as quickly as possible and when I say as quickly as possible the standard is up to three hours Uh, a lot of neurologists based on the studies now will give it up to four and a half hours And that is four and a half hours after the start of symptoms. So the problem is sometimes, for example, if you were to wake up after a night's sleep with the symptoms of a stroke, you wake up after a night's sleep and you're not able to speak properly and you can't move the right side of your body, then you're not a candidate for it if you've been asleep for eight hours because they just don't know. You may have had the stroke six hours previous, uh, prior to when it started. So uh, hopefully you know exactly when the stroke started. And you get to medical attention as quickly as possible, and they can give you these medications, and that's uh, the best case scenario.
1: Why do people delay? Do they think, oh, it's not, it's not a big deal, or they? Why do people not get to the hospital on time?
2: Well, that's a great question. You know, I mean, I think some, I think yes, absolutely, and people have very, very different thresholds for going to the hospital, and sometimes, uh, and and you, you can never blame people because people just don't know, and sometimes people come in and. For, for very, very minor things that they're just very worried about, and our job is just to reassure them. On the other hand, sometimes people come in very late for things that are, are very serious. Oftentimes, I think, yes, I think people just don't, they think, you know, this is probably going to go away, um, and and they wait it out, and then it's just not going away. And, and this goes for other things, too. You know, sometimes people have things, uh, growths on their body, for example, tumors, skin tumors, that sort of thing that can grow for many months before they'll come in. And... Uh, and the case of stroke, and uh, in the case of stroke, another reason that could delay someone is if they're just not physically able. You know, if you live alone, and you're not able to physically mobilize, you're not able to physically speak on the phone, then that obviously can be a big delay until someone actually gets to you, and and calls 911 to get you to uh, the appropriate place.
1: Uh, yeah, you know, and you mentioned the hospital. I know of a case of someone, uh, I believe they got their stroke in the hospital, mm. and it wasn't uh, treated right away. So I guess there's some uh, luck involved in all of that.
2: Yeah, and you know, the, it's worth mentioning also something called the TIA, the transient ischemic attack, which is also known as a mini stroke, because that's that's it's quite common. And basically, that is it's a stroke, but that resolves within 24 hours, and often much quicker, often within an hour, or so so, so you'll have weakness, or difficulty uh, speaking, or numbness, and it lasts just even just a few minutes, but that is, that's a warning, you know, that's a red flag, and that's a time when, that's a, in some ways, that's a great thing, because it's giving you a hint, get to the hospital right away, and, and then you, you can have all the testing done, you can see what is causing, what is increasing your risk for having a stroke, and then you can, You can treat it before you actually have a full stroke because, as you mentioned, you know, stroke, it is the leading cause of adult disability in North America. If it's not, if you're not able to reverse it, then the effects on people's quality of life are really profound.
1: Okay, let's take a call from Ian in Caledon. Hi, Ian.
3: Hi, good morning. How are you? Good afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I want to ask the doctor if there's any similarity between uh, a stroke or a seizure or if the end result is sort of the same effect on the brain.
2: Yeah, well, thanks very much for your question. I mean, uh, you're absolutely right. Stroke and seizure can present quite similarly. The difference is that a stroke, the difference is just what exactly it is. So the stroke, like I said, is is the blood supply problem, and a seizure is that area, an area, a specific area of the brain has a whole bunch of neurons firing when they they probably shouldn't be, and that can spread until you have a, uh, you can either have a partial seizure where just one part of the body is moving or you're unable to, to control it, and that can seem like a stroke, or you can have a complete uh, tonic-clonic seizure, or what they used to call a grand mal seizure, which is the whole brain is activated and the whole body, you're totally unconscious, the whole body is shaking. And, and sometimes you, you can't tell, sometimes a stroke can actually cause a seizure from the damage. We talked about brain tumors earlier. One of the most common uh, presentations for people who have brain tumors. And, and the other thing worth mentioning probably is that brain tumors very often are not primary. So there are metastases from other tumors, including lung and breast. But one of the most common presentations for a brain tumor is actually that it causes a stroke, uh, sorry, it causes a seizure because it irritates the brain tissue. And so the, the causes is quite different. And also the treatment is very different as well because the the seizure is not a vascular problem. It's a problem with the, that area of the brain being irritated by something. And so it's either treated with medications to stop the seizure or sometimes they'll actually do stereotactic surgery to take out that little area of the brain that's causing the seizure as opposed to a stroke, which is really, it's really a blood supply issue. And so the treatment is get the proper blood supply back to that area.
3: Of course. It's a, would a, uh, an MRI or an ECG uh, scan afterwards uh, uh, pinpoint which it was?
2: Yes, exactly. So an MRI, usually, like, usually the first test uh, that we can get quite quickly is the CAT scan, which is uh, a very good test in terms of seeing, uh, it's very good for seeing uh, strokes, it's very good for seeing tumors. MRI is even better, but often it takes a little longer to get. EEG is a specific test to look for seizure activity. So sometimes people with, who are having seizures, there isn't anything visible on a CT scan, and even sometimes not on an MRI unless they're actually having the seizure, but the EEG is a specific test to see if there's an imbalance of electrical activity and you can actually pinpoint the area that's, uh, that's causing the seizure. Well, thank you very
1: much for the answer. My pleasure. Thanks. Okay, thanks. Um, the numbers, once again, we have a few more minutes to take your calls with Dr. Zach. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Uh, Zach, let's talk a little bit about trying to prevent a stroke. Of course, it's it's related to cardiovascular disease. Uh, Problems, people with high blood pressure, people with uh, atrial fibrillation are all at a higher risk for stroke.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So that's, you know, when you talk about prevention, you always want to think about the different risk factors. So the risk factors are, and so the risk one of the risk factors is just increasing age. It increases with age. We can't control that. But what can we control? We control high blood pressure, like you mentioned. Diabetes, we can control uh, diabetes pretty well in terms of controlling people's glucose levels. Uh, um, high cholesterol is another one cigarette smoking atrial fibrillation is very important that's one of the most common causes that we see for stroke so that's that the most common irregular heartbeat uh, also known as uh, arrhythmia and it and that that for most people I mean overall everyone with uh, atrial fibrillation that that gives someone a risk of about a five percent risk per year of having a stroke if it's not treated so that's why there are millions and millions of people on blood thinners or on medications to keep their heart rhythm regular. And a couple of other risk factors just, uh, are, so heavy alcohol use, uh, drugs such as cocaine and amphetamine, which unfortunately you know I see a fair bit of in the emergency department, and, and obesity. So the, the general cardiovascular risk factors, like you mentioned, are very important in terms of increasing people's risk for stroke. So the things that we always talk about, not smoking and exercising and eating well and keeping your weight down in a healthy range, those are things that will help you prevent uh, having a heart attack, but at the same time, they will help you prevent uh, having a stroke as well.
1: Okay, let's take a call from Hal in Kitchener. Hi, Hal.
3: Yeah, I uh, I just tuned in now, so I'm not sure if you covered this, but I was very curious about dizziness. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm almost well. I'm 80 years old, mm-hmm. but I uh, once in a while, for no reason whatsoever that I can see. Not quickly standing up or anything else i I get this dizzy spell, yeah. it lasts for a few minutes um, I, I get a hot sweat and then I'm cold and <laughs> freezing and but anyway, then it's gone, and it only happens once every two three months yeah I'm wondering if that has any effect <laughs> or yeah.
2: it, it's any well, indication I, of. i anything. mean it's a great question, and it's not always that obvious to be honest, so to answer your question is. Uh, the brief answer is dizziness can definitely be a symptom of stroke. However, it's worth noting that the vast majority of dizzy spells are not stroke. Uh, the, the majority are what we call uh, peripheral dizziness. Well, actually, first we talk about dizziness. There's lightheaded dizziness, and there's dizziness like the room spinning. Lightheaded oh, yeah, usually... spinning
3: around in, in my
2: case. Okay, there you go. good. So that's what the medical profession refers to as vertigo. Not the fear of heights, but it's the the feeling of spinning, and that the mo- the majority of cases is peripheral, which means from the inner ear. but there are there is a significant minority that is caused from uh, the brainstem, the bottom of the brain and the cerebellum. I'm wondering if I should be checking with my doctor i don't know I've never discussed it with him. It's definitely worth checking now, I have to say, you know usually if it is caused from the brain stem, it's quite persistent, it usually affects other things. Uh, but and also your gait, like, uh, oftentimes people aren't able to walk straight, and it doesn't sort of oh. come and go. Oh, well, not so. at
3: that time. It's not. Oh, son of a gun. Oh, <laughs> sorry about
2: that. No, that's fine. So, but you know, I would never say don't check with your doctor because I think it's definitely important because there are a few tests that he or she can do in the office
3: yeah. to
2: give uh, to give you and them a good idea of whether this is something that could be coming from the brain or not. They can check
3: something in the office, can they?
2: Yeah, absolutely. There's a couple of moves that we do. Okay. Uh, with the head and with the body that can give us a good idea of what's causing it.
3: Well, I can jump around and do somersaults. Uh, uh, I mean, I don't know. I have, when, when it's not there, I, I'm up and around and jumping and doing everything.
2: Yeah. Well, that sounds good. But, still, but you know, having these episodes would be worth figuring out what's causing them.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you. Okay. No problem. Thanks for your call. Take uh, care. Let's go to Sophie in Hamilton. Hi, Sophie. Yes. Good afternoon to both of you. Thank you. Um, Doctor, a question.
4: I'm 71 years old. I have just had my third stent last week. Yeah. Um, And I still have my cheek, teeth, jaw, and chest pain. Mm. And the last one, the doctor said, um, well, we've done all we can do for you for the heart. There could also maybe be other problems. What other problems could I have, please?
2: Okay, thanks, Sophie. So, yeah, the first thing, of course, and I know you know this, is to make sure, obviously, that, that this is not coming from the heart because once you know you've had stents, you know there, there is some blockage in the coronary arteries. You have those typical symptoms, like you mentioned. So the first thing to do is do what you've done. Go back to the heart doctor and say, are these symptoms from my heart? Once they can say, absolutely, this is not from your heart, you have to start looking for other causes. So in terms of other things that can give, uh, you're, you're mentioning cheek Teeth, um, chest type of uh, pain. Yes. Um, and can I ask you what what type of pain? Like, how does it feel?
4: I am in so much pain that it's unbelievable. I um, I can't do anything quickly because if I let's say speed up up the stairs, um, I feel it. I I hurt. I wow. I stand and I wash my dishes and I and it starts. Yeah. So it's, it starts with the cheek and then it just if I keep on, and if I don't stop, slow down, or rest, and then it, it gets harder and worse. So and I know how to take care of me, to yeah. take care of the pain. I am also taking the nitro spray. Yeah. Um, to to relieve me. We oh, sorry
1: you, sorry to interrupt. We only have a minute left, so maybe Zach can answer. Thank you, Libby. Uh,
2: yeah, absolutely. So you know, Sophie, w- the thing that's not clear to me, and it, it sounds like. Uh, and from your symptoms, it does sound like this is an angina equivalent. It does sound like this is something that is when you strain your heart by doing some exertion, it gives you the symptoms and and what what you said your doctor said was well we 've done all we can do for the heart but that doesn't that doesn 't sound to me like they think it 's not from the heart. If they still think it 's from the heart uh, then i then I, then it 's still it 's still in their domain to try and even if there 's nothing they can do in terms of putting more stents in or doing a surgery, there should be medications that could be optimized. So I would, I would have two suggestions. Number one, go back to the cardiologist, see what they can do to optimize it. If they think this is really not coming from the heart, then you have to go back to your general doctor to get other testing done to see what the cause is. But if it's still coming from the heart, then, then other things should be done to optimize your, uh, your symptom control.
4: Okay,
2: so there's
4: not much choice. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate your help, and thank you, Libby. Okay, thank you.
1: Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you, and uh, thank you to Dr. Zach. Thanks for that great advice. Uh, That is all the time we have for this edition of Fight Back with Libby Zneimer.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to 1.